Thanks, Johnny. Uh, we're going to continue our series. This is just the second week, actually, in our series in First Thessalonians. So we're going to be looking at chapter 2. Um, you can uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to that chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter. And I'm going to talk, talk uh, just a little bit about how that works uh, here in a second. But um, just to give us some context, because I'm big on um, helping us understand context when we come to... Um, to studying and reading the Bible and, and trying to understand what it means for us today and what did it mean for them uh, when these uh, words were originally written. So um, I want you to think about um, this letter, okay, also called an epistle, is First Thessalonians. So let's think big picture about what was going on in the New Testament real quick. So um, we think about uh, just reading through the Gospels, okay? So the Gospels uh, tell us about Jesus coming on the scene in the flesh, proclaiming that he's the Son of God, that he's the Messiah, uh, that was prophesied about in the whole Old Testament. So it talks about how uh, everything in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus, then he comes and starts fulfilling all that um, was taught about him and everything. Uh, Jesus proves his divinity uh, through miracles and his teachings in the, in the Gospels. And then, of course, we know that Jesus, uh, not only does he live a perfect life, but he dies on the cross. He's raised from the dead. Then he ascends into heaven. Um, and uh, right before he does that, he tells his disciples to spread the gospel of good news to the entire world. Okay? So that's, that's the first part, okay, of the New Testament. And then... What happens is we get to this uh, book of Acts, the book of Acts. And so after Jesus ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit is unleashed in a way that's never been seen before on all believers and they begin to spread this gospel of good news throughout the known world. So the book of Acts tells us the story and recounts the missionary journeys of the apostles as well as this new convert named Paul. Okay, remember him, right? So, um, so they tra as they travel abroad proclaiming the gospel, they start to plant churches along the way. So they start in Jerusalem, then they head farther north uh, and west to plant churches uh, throughout the known world. And as they do that, um, they plant churches along the way. These are communities of believers who were to love God and love their neighbors, to follow um, the teachings of Jesus, to put their faith in him and to follow his teachings of loving God and loving their neighbors with the gospel, thus fulfilling the Great Commission, right? So we have the gospels, Jesus comes on the scene, then we have Acts as the church is expanded throughout the known world. Um, but then we have in the, in the New Testament these letters or epistles that, 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 we, that we know of. So uh, the Apostle Paul, for instance, would plant a church in an area and then he would move on to the next city and plant another church and he kept doing that throughout, you know, um, Ephesus and Colossae and Galatia, those churches in that area and so forth and, and on and on it went. So, but in order for him to follow up with the churches and the pastors and the elders in these churches after he had planted them, he would write letters back to them, right? He'd write letters back to them. So these letters were to encourage them, to equip them, uh, to train them, to help organize them. Sometimes it was admonishing uh, certain 
uh, people in their church and, or, or offering resolution to, disp- to disputes that were happening, right? So he, he writes these letters. So that's sort of, I just want to give you the big picture because sometimes we forget what we're reading, right? So when we read this letter um, to, the th- to the church in Thessalonia, then um, Thessalonica, then that's, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing Paul writing back to them, encouraging them, equipping them, you know, uh, giving them doctrine in certain ways uh, to help them understand how to, uh, to lead their churches and to continue to expand. So as we read this passage and as we study the Bible, these are, these are some questions you can ask about any passage in the Bible, any chapter in the Bible, and we're going to talk about them today. So to keep these in mind as we, as we read it. I'm going to read it in a second. But here are some questions, just four quick questions. What does this letter reveal about God? simple. What does the letter reveal about God? What does this letter reveal about the people in the church of Thessalonica? What does it reveal about those particular people? What were their struggles, their joys, their failures, their faults, their hopes, or their confusion? What were they dealing with, okay? What was going on there? How does the letter reveal that? Thirdly, how is the gospel presented in this passage, this chapter, to help um, them understand their situation, Okay, so we're, we're going to see a gospel application uh, here. Um, or to put it another way, how does the gospel redeem this situation or circumstance? And then finally, the fourth thing that we, we ask is how do the answers to these first three questions help us apply the gospel to our lives and our situations today, to our particular church? Because God wants all of those things to happen. He wants us to know who he is. He wants us uh, to know what was going on uh, in the history of redemption, right? He wants us to understand that we can relate to their struggles and situations. And the gospel is going to apply not just to them, but to us as well. So um, let's read this together. I'm going to read it, but read along with me, if you will. Um, Chapter 2 of 1st Thessalonians. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So just real quick, remember, Paul had been going from town to town planting churches. When he got to Philippi, they did not take his message kindly, okay? They dragged him before the officials. They beat him. They threw him in prison. It was not a good scene in Philippi, although the church continued to flourish after he left, okay? So that's kind of what he's talking about. So he's appealing to the church in Thessalonica. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, So we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. So remember, again, remember the big context of things. This message that Jesus, that the the apostles are proclaiming about Jesus was brand new to them. We forget that when we read the Bible. We think, oh, well, what, didn't they know what was going on? Did, why were they so upset about this new thing that was going on? Well, it was brand new to them. So this whole idea that Jesus is the Messiah, that um, 
He's come to save the world and redeem the whole world and, and it's going to be a complete transformation of their religious institution. This was new to them and it was not normally accepted very well. So that's kind of what Paul's talking about. Nor did we see glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as, as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you know, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this little letter to this church that was under persecution, that was confused about what the teachings of Jesus were really meant, Lord, just how at times people would come in and disrupt their church. Lord, we just thank you that that you overcame all those obstacles, that you helped the church in Thessalonica to, to grow and to flourish, to continue to spread this gospel of good news throughout the known world. We thank you for their example. We thank you for what, how you reveal yourself in this passage. May we um, understand that revelation. May we take it to heart uh, and live out your will for our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the first question. What does this passage reveal about God? That's what we want to find out. What does this passage reveal about God? Well, it reveals that God is intent on building his kingdom on earth. Okay? He is not going to stop. It reveals that God is taking his chosen people, banding them together, 
and sending them out to spread the good news of the gospel. God is on a mission. His mission is to extend his glory and his grace to all mankind. He's going to use his people, okay, and his church to do this. So God is redeeming a rebellious world of people to himself through the redeeming power of his son, Jesus Christ. So that's what it reveals about God, the heart of God for his people to show grace and mercy and love. It reveals the heart of God to to not only implant that grace into us, but then to propel us into ministry and be a part of what he's doing. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, what, question is, what does this letter reveal about the, ch- about the people in the church of Thessalonica? Well, first of all, it, uh, this letter reveals, uh, if you were listening at all, a church of people who were devoted to one another and to ministering to one another. A church that was passionate about their relationship with the Lord, passionate about the leadership that they had with Paul and Timothy and Silas. So we see this uh, very, very clearly in verse eight. Let me reread that. Paul says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Do you see the, the, the relationships that were going on here? They're very personal. They're very intimate. They were devoted to one another. Paul, as Paul and Timothy and Silas, uh, as leaders of the church, weren't just going there and planting a church and organizing things and then moving on. No, they had shared their own lives with these people. They had let them into their lives to see what was going on behind the scenes. It also reveals a church that was passionate about learning the word of God. We see this in verse 13 because uh, Paul says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So remember, the New Testament hadn't been written back then. So a lot of... The way in which they would use to explain the gospel would be using the Old Testament scriptures because they're all about Jesus, okay? So we, we don't, a lot of people in Christianity today, they don't understand that. They don't understand that the whole Old Testament is about Jesus, okay? Now, we've been given the New Testament, obviously, and so things have become very clear to us. But think about the situation that Paul and Timothy Silas and the other missionaries were in. They just had the Old Testament, and they had, of course, the words and teaching of Jesus and and the other apostles that had taken in what Jesus had said and began to canonize some of these things. But they were intent on believing the word of God, not just like what Paul said about the Old Testament, but they were like, well, Paul says it, then I'm going to go search it out in the Old Testament to find out if it's true. And that's what they would do. Another thing that was going on in this church of Thessalonica, which we don't see in this passage, but if you read the whole letter, which I encourage you to do, it's very short, probably take you about eight or ten minutes to read the whole thing, especially since we're studying through the whole thing. But you would find if we looked at the whole picture that these people, they were fearful 
about what would happen when people died, okay? So Jesus said he was coming back in his earthly ministry. Well, not everybody understood what that meant. Like, was he coming back in a few weeks? Was he coming back in the, in the next couple of years to put an end to all things and create his new kingdom on earth? Is, is, that, what he was, is that what was going to happen? And so there was some confusion. And so they were, they were scared about what happened, what happened to people when they died. Were they, were they going to um, miss out on Jesus' second coming? What, what would happen to them? Um, they were also fearful of the persecution that they were under. Um, Christianity was not well received in their culture by both the religious people and by uh, the Roman authorities. They were ridiculed and probably outcast even from their own uh, unbelieving Jewish friends. So that is some of the things we see revealed about the people uh, in Thessalonica. So the third question is, how is the gospel presented in this passage helping them understand their situation? How is the gospel helping them live in the midst of their situation and then glorify God through it? Or to put it another way, how does the gospel redeem the situation or circumstance? So a couple ways. First, Paul reminds them that they're not alone, okay? He and, and the other apostles and disciples are praying for them and desire to help them grow as a church. Okay, so they've got that, right? First of all, they've got, they're, they're not alone in, in their planting this church and growing this church and trying to live out um, their lives in Christ. The apostles are there. These other elders are there to help them grow and they're praying for them. And the good news is that God indwells his people with his Holy Spirit in order to strengthen and encourage one another. So they also have the Holy Spirit there with them to strengthen and encourage them. Paul also reminds them about the ministry that they have, uh, that they do have, and how important and fruitful it is, even in the face of difficulties and persecution. So he's reminding them, he's like, look, I know it's hard, but look at what God's doing already. Right? Look at how God is growing in you and in the people around you. Look at how God is beginning to uh, um, use your little church in Thessalonica to impact other churches and even in the known world. Remember, um, one of Paul's strategic ways of planting churches was to put them in cities that were very influential. So Thessalonica was a port city where it was a travel route, part of a travel route. So tens of thousands of people would travel through, right? And so if you've got a church in that way of people that are proclaiming and living out the gospel, right, the good news is going to spread all the more. It's pretty exciting. And Paul wanted them to know that. Paul gives them the hope and assurance that Jesus is for them, that they are loved by God, chosen to be his children, and protected by the Holy Spirit. We see this in chapter 1. One, he says in uh, end of verse 4 and end of verse 5 of chapter 1, brothers loved by God, remember that God has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but in also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So they do have all this going for them. So that's how the gospel, the good news, uh, uh, is enabling them to live through this persecution, their hardships that they were facing, 
um, the fears that they had, um, that Paul could relieve them, that uh, the people that died to, to, before Jesus comes back, they didn't die in vain, and so forth. And we'll, we'll continue to talk about that because Paul gets more into that later uh, in this little letter in the coming weeks. So finally, the last question is, um, how do the answers to these questions we just talked about, how do they help us apply the gospel to our lives and our situation today? Okay, so how, how does this work? Well, first of all, we understand who we are in Christ, just like the Thessalonians. We need to understand who we are in Christ. We, too, are loved by God, and we've been chosen by God. Remember, this comes from what we just read in chapter 1, verse 4. All these things that, that he talks about, the, um, the love by God being chosen, um, that God's spirit gives us, is in with us with full conviction. These, and these are called, called what I call gospel affirmations. So these and other gospel affirmations help keep us grounded, right? When, when, when you think that you're unlovable or unloved, then what should you do? You go back to the, to the word of God that says, no, you're loved by God. Okay, everybody else in the world might hate you. That's okay. God loves you. You're loved by God. You're his chosen. You're dearly loved by God. He's for your, you're his child. When you feel abandoned and lonely, God is there with you. The, these are gospel affirmations. I started a little uh, social media series on a couple videos of one to two minutes of, of just saying these gospel affirmations. And the reason I did it is because that's what I need, right? I need to speak these uh, to myself when I'm feeling discouraged in some way. I need to go back to these gospel affirmations that are truths of what God has done, is doing, and will do in my life. So, um, understanding who we are in Christ, we also understand the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us to minister in the face of difficulties. So we, again, right, it's, it's, no, it's no secret. We all face difficulties, right? We all do. From, from, at one level to another, from, from the, the mildest thing to an irritation in traffic to um, cancer that's uh, racking our bodies to everything in between, dealing with struggles in marriage or parenting uh, or job loss or whatever it is, right? We all face those. But, but what we need to know in the midst of that is the Holy Spirit lives in us because we're in Christ and he's going to enable us and be with us as we live through those struggles. As we even live in a culture that seems to have gone mad. Um, the Holy Spirit is within us to counsel us, to guide us through all these situations. It's beautiful. Being in Christ means that Jesus is our Savior, our Redeemer, who's brought us from death to life and paid for all our sins. Jesus has made us holy before God. He set us apart, Right? Jesus bore the wrath of God that we might no longer be his enemies, but now we're his children, right? Jesus is king and in control of everything, even when we think things are out of control. You know, I think of uh, Marty and um, 
uh, Meredith Cates who are trying to find a house in, in, in Amelia and they haven't found one yet. They're, getting, they're running out of time because they have to move, leave their house very soon. I'm thinking, all right, Lord, like this seems out of control. God obviously knows where they're going to live. That's the frustrating thing. He knows, but he hasn't told anybody yet, right? So um, we're praying that God will tell them or something will happen. But even in the midst of that, we know he's going to take care of them, right? And in the end, they'll look back and, and praise him for the path that he brought them through to, to find housing out there. So being in Christ also means that we are all connected. Okay, and this is, I think, one of the hallmarks of this passage is that we're all connected. So think about it for a second. If I'm united to Christ and you're united to Christ, then what does that mean about you and me? You and me are united together, right? We're all united together in Christ. We're related, the Bible tells us, as brothers and sisters. We're now part of the same family. It's a little scary. Therefore, we, therefore, what does this do? It, it encourages us to, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, and to passionately pursue Christ and to study the scriptures with one another, right? It does all that. So, in terms of applying this passage, the first thing is we understand who we are in Christ. Now, that's, you know, we, I could go on and on and on and on about that, we, but, you know, you can do that on your own. Um, secondly, this passage teaches us that we, ha- that we too have an amazing church full of people that love God. Okay? That we love God, we love one another well, and we love his word. And I hope that just you knowing that would be encouraging to you. You know, here's what Paul says in verse 8. He says, being affectionately desirous of you. This is like, think about, or remember, this is Paul, the leader of the church, one of the leaders, founders of the church, planters of the church, whatnot, and the people that he ministered to and their relationship with one another. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves because you had become very dear to us. There's incredible relationship there. And I hope that you feel the relationship that you have with me and Andrew and Lauren, right, as we continue to try to build those relationships, right? I mean, th- this, is, this is how I feel. This is, this is not, I don't, I'm not doing this job as pastor just as a job like this is we're a part of the same family you know most pastors don't make it past five or seven years five to seven years in a church Andrew has been here since the beginning right see 2004 is really when things got started we're almost to 20 years that's solid right there I'm at 15 years. We're, tr- we're trying to, you know, I, it's just not normal. But I think what's not normal is, is how God has moved in this body of Christ for us to grow together. Um, we, we've exposed ourselves to you, right? We don't hide anything. There's no backstory to what 
you don't know about what's going on in our lives. I think you are pretty much uh, in the know. Uh, you see it in our families uh, and just even in our own shortcomings and failings. And um, this is encouraging to me. So one question I would, I would have you ask yourself is have, how have you experienced the love of God expressed through his people here at Spring Run? How have you experienced it? Have you given God thanks for these dear people that sit right next to you, right? Minister alongside. Thirdly, this passage teaches us that we do have a mission to carry out, okay? Just as Paul was helping the Thessalonians understand this, we too have a mission. That mission is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and to advance his kingdom. That was the, uh, the exhortation that Paul had for them, and it's for us as well. So the gospel is for us inside these walls, but it's also for those outside the walls. And we must go forth, especially in a culture that is really anti-Christian. We need to work alongside one another in our ministry to others because ministry is not done in isolation. That's why we, uh, we tr we try, we've tried from the beginning to not talk about committees around here. We talk about teams. Committees just has more of a business sense. Teams has more of a camaraderie. We're in this together. We're all on the same team. We've got teammates that we love and we care for. We're going to cheer each other on. We've got youth team, children's ministry team, um, all kinds of things, hospitality teams that we're working together uh, as a team. There's a quote um, from this book I've had for a while. Um, actually, a friend that gave this to me, Robert Hayward, back in 2003. So I was 20 years old. I feel like I, he just gave it to me yesterday. He called me on the phone and it's super encouraging, but um, I want to read a quote from this book. It's about personal ministry to other people and how we do that together and, and how God uses it and shapes our own lives. So, um, there is a humble character of personal ministry, he writes. Service must not have an I stand above you as the one who has arrived character. It flows out of a humble recognition that we share an identity with those we serve. God has not completed his work in me either. We are brothers and sisters in the middle of God's, God's lifelong process of change. I am not anyone's guru. Change will not happen simply because someone is exposed to my wisdom and experience. We share identity, we share experience, and we are the family of the same family. This posture is essential for God honoring personal ministry. First, it recognizes that God sends people my way, not only so that they will change, but that, so that I will change too. The wonderful counselor is working on everyone in the room. God repeatedly uses the difficulties of, of a ministry relationship and the revelation of his redemptive glory to challenge, deepen, and strengthen my faith. I have a front row seat to the heart-transforming work of God. I minister to others with greater hope, expectancy, and courage. What is more, I live with more courage and hope for my own life. There's no question that the person who's benefited most from my ministry is me. It's interesting how he turns that around, right? I mean, God's obviously working in the lives of other people, but it's, it's a posture of humility that we have before one another in living out and carrying out our ministry. So how about our work here at Spring Run? Who are we? What are we doing? Why are you even here? 
I mean, you may, you may be asking that your question this morning. Why, why am I sitting here? I don't, you know. Um, but I hope you're here because you've experienced the love of Christ in some way. That, you're, that you are either a fully devoted follower of Jesus on his mission, or at least you are somewhat intrigued by this group of people and want to know more about it. The local church, the body of Christ, is the hope of the world. Right? People say, well, no, Jesus is the hope of the world. Yes, he is. But he, he is the hope of the world, and, and he's extending that hope through the local church, through us, through the other local churches in this area and throughout the world. There's, there is no other organization designed the way that we are. Think about that for a minute. All of our resources, from money to buildings to staff, are all focused in on engaging God in the worship that he is due. So that's the first thing that our resources, people, staff, that we're, we're focused on engaging God in the worship that he is due, right? To glorify God. And then also, along with that, it propels us to spread his message of the redeeming power of his son, Jesus Christ. That's where our focus is. You think, well, you know, what, what about the money that pays the mortgage? The building is here so that we can gather together to worship, right? I could go on and on, and I don't have time to do that about how our resources are, are done, but it's, it's all focused on these two things. And as your pastor, I'm imploring you to do three things. Go deep in your walk with the Lord. Go deep in your walk with Christ. Love one another with grace that you've been given by Jesus himself. And then use your gifts for ministry to both believers and to unbelievers. That's what we're about, right? Now, the best picture of that came this week in my mind when I sat with five women who have been uh, going down to the city to one of the real-life houses. Now, if you're not familiar with the real-life ministry, Sarah Scarborough started a ministry to people, men and women, who were coming out of prison and trying to transition back into life, um, find freedom from addiction and other issues and so forth. And with one of the houses, she decided to do a mandatory Bible study. And she asked some women in our church, would you be willing to go and lead a Bible study at this house? And five women, uh, at least five, okay, I may be missing one, said, raised their hand and said, yes, I'd be willing to do that. Now, these are women who are um, well of means, live here in Midlotopia, Right? They have their own circle of friends and peers, and they're walking into one of the most messy and chaotic situations that they would ever see in their lives. Why would they do that? Why would you leave the comfort of your home and your own friends and your own routine to go down and love women who who are just a hot mess coming out of pr prison. Why? Well, the answer is in their gospel stories, which we will hear later in the coming weeks. But I got to listen to some of those. The reason is what Jesus has done in their life. That's it. That's the reason. Jesus has transformed them. And the, the passage that I just passaged, the quote I read from Paul Tripp, really was, was meaningful because I feel like it exhibited the, the posture that I felt when I sat with these women and they shared with me how 
affected they were by going to these women who were in tremendous need. How, how they were affected, how Christ changed their hearts, right? Um, absolutely amazing. And the other cool thing is, not only did, so, so they would go down and lead the Bible study, right? And hang out with these uh, women, but they'd also take a meal. Now, sometimes they prepared the meal, but there was a whole nother group of people that were behind them, that made meals, that were uh, praying for them, right? That were supporting them as they went down there. Like, do you see how this works? Am I getting through yet? How Jesus is working in this body of Christ, right? The local church, yeah? And, and I think the other beautiful thing is not only do the women minister beyond the walls of the church, but they're heavily involved in, in the ministry here at the church within these walls. You've all, been, you've all been impacted by them one way or another, whether you know it or not, I promise. It's just a great picture of what God is doing. You know, and the, 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 the Thessalonians were struggling as a church to, um, to spread this gospel, to love one another, uh, to live in the face of death, right, and persecution. Um, and it should be encouraging to us that this gospel of grace comes to us to heal and transform and to challenge us to go deep with him and then be propelled into ministry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've uh, designed all this, all this, this whole church, um, th this mission that, that you've designed from, from the beginning of time. We think uh, it, it didn't just start in the New Testament, but uh, it started uh, at the beginning of time with your people, you loving your people mercilessly with great mercy and patience throughout the ages to where you continue to love us with great mercy and great patience, extending your grace to us, drawing us to yourself in deep ways. And I pray that the deeper we go with you, the more we will be propelled into ministry to others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.